Happy Wednesday, happy Wednesday, happy Wednesday. On today's podcast episode, we're going to take a look at the strike that's going on across the country with rideshare drivers. It's This is huge news that we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about the fact that drivers want regulation in their favor, not just any drivers, but rideshare drivers. They're a population that's frequently overlooked. We're also going to take a look at our official stand on rideshare regulation. Sit back, enjoy the show, because it's starting right now. Once again, thank you so very much for tuning in today for another episode of Our Pack Politics Podcast. I am your host, Miss Brittany McDowell, and this podcast is brought to you by Our United Resource Pack. We are a tax-exempt political organization. We are very, very happy, once again, that you tuned into our show today. So before we get today's show started, I just want to uh, put this out there. For those of you who support regulation that is in favor of rideshare drivers. Maybe you are a rideshare driver. Maybe you know rideshare drivers and you understand um, based on your connection to a rideshare driver, the impact that um, the current either legislation or regulation that's in place or lack thereof and how it negatively is impacting drivers. If you understand that, despite not being a rideshare driver, this is for you too. Basically, we have a petition. You can find the petition on our website. I'll tell you where in just a moment. But basically, this is just a petition for those of you who stand either in this moment or after we continue this um, this episode. If you want to stand with us in recognizing the fact that rideshare drivers need regulation that is favorable to them. If you understand that rideshare drivers need politicians and and political policy that is favorable to them, you should stand with us by find by signing our uh, our petition. You can find our petition on our website. That website is www.our-pac.com. You'll click on right on the homepage. There's a button that says our impact. Click that. Then there's another button that says petitions. Click that. And then you will click driver favorable rideshare regulation. And that will take you right to the petition. Basically, this petition, all it is, is for us to know that there are people who are in in agreement with us. There are people out there who, like us, want to see regulation in place. You're basically, you know, showing your support. This isn't monetary support. This isn't, you know, anything other than you saying, 
you know, as in, in this time, me too, I, I support this me too. Um, I mean, me too can be, you know, so many different things, namely one thing we're probably all thinking about sexual assault and stuff like that, that horrible, horrible stuff. But in this instance, me too was meaning that you too agree that drivers need favorable rideshare regulation. So once more, before I continue, if you agree with that, take a moment, go to our website, www.our-pack.com, sign the petition. We're not going to sell your information. We're not going to put your information out there. We just need validation that other people, other than those who are already in our camp, believe that this is an important issue. And even if you don't want to sign it, or if you do share it with other people, share the link with other people so they can sign it too. And we can, again, know that other people are with us in this fight for ride share drivers. You don't have to be in the fire to understand that it's getting hot in here and taking off all your clothes isn't going to work. <laughs> so anywho, uh, we're on multiple podcast uh, programs. One thing that's probably different, if you go to our website now, um, this is our third episode in total. Um, the first two episodes, we had it set up where you could listen to our stream right on our website. Now what we have opted to do is remove that link, but put the links um, on our websites to the uh, the 10 um podcast, I guess you would say locations, sources that you could find our podcast and you can pick what works for you and listen to it there. That way you don't have to come to our website and, and everything works exactly as you want it. And you don't have to get accustomed to using a different, um, you know, uh, play system or uh, I don't know, my mind isn't working. You don't have to get used to a different way of listening to a podcast. Listen to us the same way you listen to the other podcasts that you like. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, uh, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So go to our website our-pack.com, O-U-R-P-A-C.com, click on Our Impact, and then click on Our Pack Politics Podcast. Once you click that, you'll find the links to different um, places where you can listen to our podcast, and you can click the link that works for you. So very, very simple. Maybe you're listening to us on one source, but frequently use another. Go to the link, and you can find out where to reach us on your most preferred podcast platform. If you're a rideshare driver, you probably already heard the news today. I don't know when you're listening to this, but today is Wednesday, May 8th, 2019. Um, or if you know a rideshare driver, you probably heard the news today. Basically, today there was a big thing where in major U.S. cities, um, starting this morning, uh, there were a series of strikes and protests that were supposed to happen um, with rideshare drivers. Basically, um, looming as like this dark shadow over the anticipated Wall Street IPO initial public offering of Uber. Um, now, th th the strike was different in different cities. In some cities, you know, the strike was promoted as like a 24-hour strike where drivers weren't supposed to log on to their apps and just completely ignore incoming requests. Well, not even ignore it. The apps were supposed to be completely off. Um, but in other cities, they didn't have that 24-hour thing specifically in New York City, 
they only wanted their strike to be two hours. So, you know, it's while the strike was happening in multiple places, the strike was different in different locations. So if you're a driver, most likely you've heard about this. This has been on the news. Uh, This has been uh, discussed and promoted heavily on social media, not just by um, the organization that uh, is, I don't want to say launched the strike, but the organization that, um, I guess is credited with the, the, the creation of the strike. I believe their name, the, the name of the organization is, uh, drivers United. Um, uh, but don't, don't take my word on that, <laughs> but, um, cause you know, you heard it from so many different sources and, and we didn't come across the, the strike information until, um, probably about a week or so ago. So we came pretty late in the game. But anywho, 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 um, basically the strike happened. If you're a driver, some of these reasons might sound obvious to you. If you're not a rideshare driver, um, you know, this might be surprising to you. But there were multiple reasons why drivers um, not only chose to strike today, well, there really is one main reason why they chose to strike today, but there's multiple reasons why drivers are striking. Um, basically, drivers are looking for improved job security. Some of them want to end arbitrary deactivations. And if you don't know what a deactivation is, um, basically, it's when drivers, their accounts are deactivated, are removed, are um, blocked from accessing the, 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 the platform as a driver. They can access it, you know, as, as a user, but um, they cannot access it as a driver. Um, then they also wanted uh, basically more money, a better revenue split between drivers and, and the platforms. And, and this didn't just occur with um, one specific platform. Uh, this happened across many, many platforms, namely the two giants in the space, Uber and Lyft. And so the the deal is this, rideshare companies, um, because they don't want to offer certain things like workers' compensation, they don't want to cover driver expenses or pay an hourly wage, what they do is they classify drivers as independent contractors and, and and basically how they do it in a relational perspective is they call drivers partners. They don't call them employees. They call them partners. Okay. And that begs a few questions. I mean, if to me, this is maybe to you, you don't have these questions, but like if a driver is really an independent contractor and they're and they're running their own business, which is what essentially an independent contractor does, at least in the eyes of the IRS, um, if they really are partners with these rideshare companies, why would a rideshare company offer them job security? And I pose this question to drivers who uh, are striking or those who aren't drivers but support the strike, but specifically this aspect of the strike. And I ask the question because why would why would the companies offer job security if they don't view the drivers as having a job, at least not with them? You know, they again don't. So, I mean, just even when you look at that, you're seeing that the dri- the drivers are viewing their relationship one way. And the the companies are viewing their relationship or at least trying to position the relationship a different way. And I don't necessarily blame the drivers 
or the company for their view. The, the companies are, are are looking to view it in one way for obvious benefits, you know, um, less regulations and restrictions uh, from them, less of an overhead cost for them, um, less risk with them. There are so many reasons that it favors the companies to have an independent contractor relationship with them as opposed to the traditional employee-employer relationship. From the driver's perspective, I guess I could see their perspective because especially if you've had experience as uh, a rideshare driver or if you know rideshare drivers, um, you become aware of very intricate details of the the day-to-day of the jobs, the things that they do, uh, the limited uh, the limited control that they have. And then you start to really see there's a blurred line between the, this kind of employee employer relationship and independent contractor relationship. There's a blurred line to begin with. And, and that's why when you look at the IRS, they really have in recent years started cracking down on employers who classify people as independent contractors when they should be classified as an employee. Um, but, you know, that's already a blurred line. But when you really understand what's going on with these drivers, it's more blurred than it already is when you, you know, when you look at the whole type of relationship. But then there's another question, you know, if drivers, if they're, if they're really independent contractors who are running their own business, if they are really, as the companies say, partners, why would rideshare companies ever agree to delete the out that they give themselves as the company from the relationship that they have with these individuals that they consider independent contractors in the form of deactivation. So, I mean, it, it, I mean, it just, it's, it makes no sense because it's really like the only way that they can end their professional relationship with drivers and they will never agree to give up that right. I mean, in pretty much in every contract that you see, um, in this, in, in the United States, every contract allows the party for the most, well, not, I don't want to say every contract, but most contracts allow for some sort of out from a contract, whether you have to buy out to get out of the contract, whether you, you know, you have the right to get out within a certain amount of time, you have the right to cancel the contract, or if either or both parties can just cancel at any time, they are not going to give up their right to get out of the contract with the person. And, and they do this by saying, okay, well, we reserve the right to get out by just deactivating you from the platform. They're not going to give that up. So why do drivers have this expectation? Again, it goes back to the view that drivers view the relationship not as an independent contractor uh, type relationship, a business-to-business, a B2B contract, or, or, yeah, they don't view it like that. They view it as an E-to-E an employer to employee type of contact contract relationship. Then there's another question that you have to pose. Uh, yet again, if we're dealing with drivers who are really independent contractors who are running their own businesses, if they really are partners with rideshare companies, why would the rideshare companies, hear me out, hear me out, Why would the rideshare companies 
limit the ability of their quote unquote partners to have a say in their compensation. Drivers don't have any say in their split of the profits. Now, the only, well, I guess you could say by agreeing to the amount set by the organizations, that's how they have their say. But they, they can't come in there and say, okay, well, I want 40% or, oh gosh, I hope they don't settle for 40%. But uh, they, I hope they don't, you know, they don't have the right to go in there and say, well, you know, I want um, 90% of the profits and you can keep. 10% of the profits and go, you know, they, they don't have that right. Individually, there is no right to negotiate their compensation. I pose the question again, if they are partners, independent contractors who are business owners, why do they not have the right to negotiate what's in the best interest of the companies that these tech and, and transportation companies are claiming that they should have because they are businesses, right? I mean, kind of confusing, but just if you have to replay what I just said, replay it. Because like I said, it, it sounds confusing, but it's not as confusing as it sounds. But so, I mean, there are like, there are, I don't want to exaggerate, you know, but if you've listened to the show a little bit, I, I've exaggerated a few times. I mean, there are, uh, there's like a million questions. There aren't literally a million questions, but there are a whole heck of a lot of questions. Many, 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 many questions that lead to one even bigger question that's related to rideshare companies and rideshare drivers. And it's the question of rideshare drivers. Are they really, truly independent contractors who own their own small businesses that are in partnership with a transportation company? Are they their own businesses who are in partnership with another company? I mean, think about it. If um, this is just a hypothetical, let's say that Pepsi and Ritz crackers go into a partnership. Do, do they not do both parties have the right to negotiate the terms of the contract between the two companies? I mean, even if it's, even if it's a supplier, because I know, you know, the, the companies like to say, well, we're tech companies because we provide a tech platform in that case that makes them uh, a vendor. Um, now a lot of vendors do have set prices but there still is a certain level of flexibility that vendors provide to the businesses that they work with. Um, and there's just not that level of flexibility for drivers. Flat out, there isn't. And, and, and I mean, there's just, it's just, again, everything leads back to the, to the big question, you know, whether you're looking at how the Drivers are apparently looking at this because you can see the drivers look at this whole issue a different way because they're framing even the questions that are being asked by drivers lead any rational person to believe that based on their interaction and, you know, not just their interaction, but in a lot of cases, as is the case with um the FTC lawsuit that that Uber had settled uh, for twenty million dollars, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of misrepresentation that goes on. 
a lot of it. And so when you have this misrepresentation, is there any wonder that these people are thinking and believing and, and in a lot of cases operating or, or, you know, just just in general, just being fearful because they're viewing their relationship as an employee, an employer employee relationship. And that employer can get rid of me at any time versus I'm a business interacting with another business and I can end this relationship at any time. And I possess a certain amount of power. Drivers, when you talk to them, you don't get that sense. When you interact with them, a lot of them go, go to anybody, you know, who is an entrepreneur, a small business owner and evaluate them and their, 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 the depth of their knowledge, their service. I don't, well, I don't even want to say that. Evaluate them and the control that they have over their business and then evaluate the amount of control that a rideshare driver has over their quote unquote business. I mean, come on. These drivers can't even pick their own passengers. These drivers can't even sit up here and know, you know, uh, how much they're going to make before they agree to go pick up somebody. They get penalized for saying, well, this is too short of a trip or it's not profitable when I calculate all the expenses that I'm accountable for. They get penalized for that. What other business to business relationship do you know where one party can withhold the information, specifically the compensation information from the other side and demand without providing that information that they either do it or don't do it? You take this job or you don't take it. I'm not going to tell you how much you can how much you can make from it. You just have to take it or not. And if you don't take it, I'm going to penalize you. If you just turn it down, if you agree to take it and then you don't because you find out that it's not profitable to you as a business person. Pfft, hello, another question. Does a business owner, as these people are claiming these people are, does a business owner not have the right to make a decision about what's in the best interest of their quote unquote business. If something's not profitable to their business, why the heck would they do it? They wouldn't. Makes no sense. None at all. But I mean, I, I can really go down this rabbit hole. You see, I'm very passionate about this. Personally, I've been impacted by this. Um, I'll get into that in a whole nother show. Uh, I, I really don't want to get too in, in, in depth with that. You know, I have experience with both Uber and Lyft as well as, you know, my own uh, tech company in the past. But anywho, so uh, we'll, we'll, we can cover that in another show. I want to kind of stick where we are, you know, right, right in this moment. But so there, there are two things, all of what I just said considered, there are two things that rideshare drivers should already know. And I'm not talking about what I just said, just in general, rideshare drivers who have been driving more than a month should already know this. First of all, the ultimate plan for rideshare companies is to have driverless cars. Okay. And this is part of the rationale, get this, for them referring to themselves, not as transportation companies, but as tech companies. Think about this. These companies don't say, oh, we're a transportation company. They call themselves tech companies. They are going down that hole. And even though that's their ultimate goal, 
it helps them now. And one of the way it, ways it helps them is it helps them circumvent a lot of regulation, a lot of rules that transportation companies can avoid. It's profitable to them. If from the beginning, these companies had to start off as transportation companies, as opposed to tech companies, if they positioned themselves and marketed themselves that way, they wouldn't be in the space that they are in. They wouldn't have the amount of market share that they have, okay? But here's something else. This is the second part. If you've been, or you know a driver who's been driving more a month, more than a month, they should know this. If you've been driving more than a month, you should know this as well. Now, Lyft, you may not be into uh, investing. Uh, I personally am. I invest every day. I do day trading. I, you know, but anywho. So Lyft, they... They have stocks, they have a stock, they're selling stock, and it's already available. They have done what's called their initial public offering, okay? Um, anyone can go and, and buy stock from Lyft. Now, Uber is having their initial public offering of stocks this Friday, May 10th, 2019. This is important because it goes back to the why this strike is important, okay? This is important, not just because it ties back to the why this strike is important, but particularly, get this and hear me loud and clear, if you are a rideshare driver or you know a rideshare driver, investors are telling rideshare companies, and again, we're talking about Uber and Lyft at this point because Lyft is already available on the stock market. Uber is in here in two days going to be available on the stock market. Investors are telling these rideshare companies that they need to cut down on driver income, that they need to stop incentives, and that they need to go faster at getting the driverless cars to market so that way they can remove rideshare drivers from the equation altogether. Okay, now this is a fact. It's, you know, this is not anything that that drivers can stop. As an organization, I want to make this very, 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 very clear. As an organization, we are not here to stop this from happening. Technology is here. It is here to stay and it will only progress. It will only move forward. We are not trying to take it back. We are not trying to keep these companies from getting to the point where they have a 100% uh, driverless vehicle, uh, driverless fleet. We are not trying to stop that because we understand we can't. And as a driver, you have to realize that too. Now, that's not to say that, oh, you have to stop driving immediately. No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. You need to have a backup plan. And you need to put that backup plan in place. And I mean, I can't, I can't give you, I'm not going to commit and say, oh, in two years and by 2025, they're going to be, you know, um, fully, fully, um, what's the word? I'm not going to say they're going to be fully driverless. No, I'm not committing to that. And I would never tell you that. But I do tell you this, you need to have a backup plan plan because 
this is not going to last too much longer, okay? But that considered, despite the fact that this is reality, despite the fact that at some point rideshare drivers will not be part of the rideshare equation, and despite the fact that it is inevitable, this does not mean that drivers shouldn't work for and require regulation now, okay? And this is because while drivers are important, not just to the drivers, drivers have to realize this. As it stands in this moment, drivers have the power. Regulation has not allowed for everywhere for these companies to have their driverless vehicles out. So in the places where they can't have driverless vehicles, they have to have drivers. So because drivers are required, drivers need to realize that even though, yes, they're on, they're walking us out the door, we can still make sure that we're getting out the door in a safe and a fair manner, okay? So I don't want that to discourage you, but I just, I need you to know that. We'll be right back. If you are a rideshare driver and you consider everything that I just said about the hard reality that is here in this moment and that rideshare drivers need to face, this is just as important to you. So I, I had to give you the hard truth facts first, okay? Um, I had to sound the alarm and get you drivers to bend yourselves towards doing more than just driving and hoping and wishing for change and complaining and being frustrated, you don't have to be frustrated. You don't have to be, you know, saying, oh, you know, it just, every year it gets worse and worse. Every every three months, six months, it gets worse and worse. I, I, I'm making less and less and less and less. I mean, you already have to contend with the fact that they are literally marching marching you towards the exit door. Okay, that is something you cannot change, but you don't have to jump over hot coals and walk through, you know, uh, just horrendous conditions to get to that exit door. Okay, these companies, I need you to understand this. I will, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention just one last thing that you have to consider, and and I, you, you have to not just consider this, but think about this and let this sit in your mind every time if you're a rideshare driver you get in the car to drive for these companies if you're driving for Lyft now every turn time you turn that car on and you have your Lyft sticker or that glowing thing up on your thing and you turn on your app and you're ready to go think about this once May 10th comes to comes around and the IPO is out and available for Uber if you're an Uber driver, I need you to think about this, okay? Listen to me. Listen, if you haven't heard anything that I've said, this is very, very important, okay? Lyft already has investors behind them. Why? Because they have, um, they have when, when people buy stocks, essentially they are investing in the company, Okay, now you've had angel investors and stuff like, but now you're dealing with a whole different, different, just highly regulated space. Lyft already has investors behind them because they have they've had their stock available. Uber, as of the tenth of this month, as we currently understand it, they are going to have investors behind them. 
What this does for both of these companies is it gives them money, but it also, hear me out, this is, this is ding, 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 this is important. It gives them a fiduciary duty to make sure that investors and the company makes money, even at or especially at the driver's expense. Now, I told you, investors are already demanding that to boost the profits because, and I'm telling you this as someone who invests in stock. I look and when, and, and every investor has a different way. And I'm least, I'm not giving any investing, investing advice. So please don't think that I'm doing that because I'm not. Don't listen to me about how to do and do anything with investments. Cause especially the last two weeks, I've been having a doozy of a time where I'm almost afraid to look at my portfolio, but the investors, at least me, okay, I'm only going to speak for myself. One of the things that I consider, even though I'm a highly technical trader, um, I consider the profitability the profitability of a company. Okay, um, I do that. I look at both the past. I go back as far as five years, and then I. I do some sort of forecasting for the future based on what analysts are saying about the stock. One way to make these companies more profitable is to get the drivers out of the equation. So forget technology. Forget the fact that we are dealing with a situation where they've already started vamping out, I mean, uh, researching, let alone getting out some of the technology in certain locations for these driverless cars. Forget that. Take that out of the equation. Now, in addition to that, there is an incentive based on the fact that they have investors who, to you know, uh, not just for the investors that they have, but for the investors they're going to want in the future, they're going to be trying to listen to their investors. And investors understand, and they are going to demand, as they already are, that these rideshare companies, these transportation companies, get rid of drivers. Yes, there are going to be costs associated with them having wireless, not wireless, but driverless cars. But that's a controllable cost. It's more controllable than the drivers. Let that sink in, okay? But but here I'm not conti- I'm not done with this point that you need to understand every time you ramp up your car. So every time you ramp up your car, whether you have that U or the Lyft, whether you're Team U or Team L, understand that they have two things behind them that you don't. If you're a supposed quote unquote business, they have investors behind. Who's investing in your business? Who's investing in the business that most likely, you know, you haven't given a name for or, or registered or done a, a, a done a DBA? You know, like who's who's investing in your business? Who who or is your partner the only person in the situation who has an investor? But on top of the investors. They have the demands that come along with the investors and they have the capital that comes along with the investors. Think about that every time they ramp up the car. Okay. And 
the reality of that fact, the reality of the fact that they have investors and the two things that come along with investors now means that the negative changes that drivers have been talking about and seeing over time, over the last few years, these changes are most certainly not going to get better. Again, I say to you, this is not the time to sit and talk about and wish and, you know, because I, you know, especially when you're talking about like in in airport areas or online, rideshare drivers congregate. They do network, you know, despite what a lot of people believe uh, probably about rideshare drivers, rideshare drivers, you have some that, you know, act, they're out there solo bolo and they rarely talk to other drivers, but most drivers, especially if they do airport runs, they, they get to know other drivers. And when these drivers get together, guys, they talk. And they talk about the fact if they have been doing this just, say, five years. Oh, those were the golden days. Five years ago were the golden days. You could work, at least as I understand it, based on drivers I've talked to, you know, you could work half, you know, part time and make a full time income. Those were good times. Three years ago, decent times, but not really. Three years ago, if if you know anyone or if you drove about three years ago, that was the time that you started seeing a lot of drivers who realized because at a certain point, there was an influx of new drivers in the space. When you have a lot of people coming in to do the supply, because we're going to talk about the supply and demand here for a minute, is, 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 is the law for every business in business. You have a whole new onslaught just of, of people willing to supply services, but the demand hasn't gone up as much. And then the price is driven down because this is going to incentivize people to, to come on and to, to uh, take our service if we go from X, just a hypothetical example, if we go from $5 a mile to $2.10 a mile completely hypothetical numbers. I don't, I don't know what they were at the time. I, I have no idea, but, the, but that's what happened about three years ago. So drivers really started going up. Then I also know, um, and the, you had situations where the amount, the, the contracted amount that the companies were taking went up all at the same time, about three years ago. So those weren't the golden days. I don't even know what people, I'm, I, I man, I'm just, woo, woo, that's all I can say is, woo. It's, 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 it's tough out there, but you get out there, you're a driver, you network, you talk to other drivers. I'm telling you, man, this is not the time to talk. Talking is going to do nothing. Your days of wishing and hoping and, oh, well, you know, maybe they'll one day they'll realize that they need us. They don't need you, boo-boo. These companies, they are, well, they do need you right now. They're hoping you don't realize it, which is why personally, let me put this out there, I have a problem with, I understand the strike. I support the strike, but personally, I understand that the strike is not going to be effective. 
Okay. I don't drive Uber or Lyft. Um, I also haven't been a passenger of Uber and Lyft in a really, really, really long time. Um, so I could be misinformed. Last I knew, there was surge pricing. Okay. Back in the day, but I know at one point they were talking about getting rid of surge pricing. I don't know if they still have it around. Uh, but last I knew, there was surge pricing. And essentially what would happen was when supply went away, when there weren't enough drivers to fill demand, what happened? The price of rides went up. Okay. So if let's say again, I don't know, let's just assume that surge pricing is still in effect to this day, or maybe it's called something similar, but kind of remarketed as something different under operating under a different name, doing something quote unquote different. But when you look at the facts and the numbers, it's doing just about the same thing. Um, what you're going to end up seeing is you're going to see the price go up for rides. Then you are going to see more drivers when they see the notification that, oh man, or, or if they're business savvy, they'll try to capitalize on it. Oh, I know a lot of people aren't going to be, you know, taking rides and they're going to have their apps off in this, in, in, in this area on this day on May 8th. Psh, I'm turning my app on and I'm working. It's going to be two, three times the amount. Hey, boo-boo, get your money. But what that does is it kind of negates the strike because there are going to be people who are incentivized to go ahead and turn on their apps because they get more money. I mean, people are doing this not because they are doing it out of the kindness of their heart. They're driving because they need money. And if they're going to get double or triple the amount, I know I would. Hey. Power to the people, but assistant needs to get paid. And in understanding that, even if that's not the case, let's assume that they don't have surge pricing anymore. I'm sorry, I understand your efforts, but in the grand scheme of things, if you're talking about two hours or 24 hours, what if but all something little, what does this do? Why not strike for an entire week? Why not strike indefinitely until demands are met? We're not in the space of advocacy, so I can't say that, oh, it's just as easy as getting to people, get people to commit. I'm no fool. I, I definitely know that, you know, it would be harder to get people to commit to in an indefinite strike or a lengthy strike, because the reality is, like I said, people do it for dollars, not for for heart smiles and giggles. As much as we would like to think that people do it out of the kindness of their heart, people work, people do this either full time or they do it, you know, in addition to, to something else to supplement their income because they need money, dollar, dollar bills, the green stuff, cash money. It makes the world go round. It feeds their kids. I understand that. That's why I have a problem with the strike. I'm not, again, I support the strike. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done the strike. But what I am saying is that the strike, whether it was for two hours or 24 hours, is not enough. 
You may have had some lower level people in these organizations, specifically Uber and Lyft, who understood and probably connected with drivers, maybe those who were in a position where they interact with drivers at some point or in some way, maybe those like at the hubs and stuff like that or whatever, you know, the the places that they have for drivers. Um, But the reality is when the people, these executives, I wouldn't doubt it if they had a laugh and a chuckle about this. Not saying they did, but I mean, I wouldn't doubt it because it's not their problem. And it's just, it's not even a problem. It's not a problem because unfortunately, some drivers, some people who support drivers are going to do the strike. They've done the strike and they figure that it is enough. It's not. What does this change? Nothing. It changes nothing. Consider one other thing, one more thing. When Uber and Lyft wrote their regulatory filings with the, um, when, when they when they wrote the regulatory filings, one of the things that was written was that they think they pay drivers too much already. That's deep, y'all. So we now understand that it's not even just the investors who want the drivers gone. We now not only understand that the companies have set in motion a plan to ultimately get rid of the drivers and replace them with driverless vehicles. But now, based on what I just said, we understand that Uber and Lyft think they pay drivers too much. That is deep, 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 deep. And and with the IPO guys, Uber's corporate owners, they're set to make not millions, not a few hundred thousands. They're not just going to go get them a gold chain and call it a day. These people are going to make billions, billions with a B. Individuals are going to make billions of dollars. All while drivers, the people who are required in the equation right now, even though they're the plan is to ultimately put them in the trash, right now it requires drivers and the drivers who are literally running the show, driving the show, these people are getting left in poverty and they are going bankrupt. Bankrupt. Don't even get me started. Again, I referenced it before. Uh, don't get me started on the $20 million Federal Trade Commission settlement that Uber had where they basically had to pay drivers out. Um, We can talk about that in another show. But a lot of those people, they were lied to not just about earning potential, but then they were put in subprime leases, these predatory leases that ended up having them not just go bankrupt. Some of them, you know, their credit was damaged all because... They were lied to. Some of them committed suicide, all because they were lied to. This is why we are fighting for drivers. 
We're, we're working to fight for them. If you're wondering, okay, well, how is a political action committee? Like, what are y'all doing? Are you just getting on this thing complaining about this is what companies should do? This isn't it. No, 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 no. Like I said, we're not in the space of organizing strikes. You will never see our organization organize a strike. We're not an advocacy group. But what we are is we are an organization, a, a, a tax-exempt political organization that is in the space that deals with campaign finance. So let me tell you what we can do for drivers out there who are disenfranchised. Let me tell you what we can do for drivers who are going bankrupt and 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 who are just freaking out because they're recognizing man like the end draweth nigh let me tell you what we do as an organization we work to elect politicians who support driver favored regulation okay so when you have you know obviously if, if hopefully you understand how how you know legislation for instance works in this country Individuals can propose legislation not to the respective uh, congressional places. You you can't go to just say your uh, your your Senate uh, or your your House on on a, on a local level and say I want to propose legislation. No, but what you can do is you can get it to your your the a member of your House of Representatives or you can get it to your senator. Uh, not even then. Sometimes organizations, especially Believe this or not, here's here's an, here's another fact that you have to remember. <clears throat> Even though we're in a space where there isn't a lot of regulation, there is some regula regulation, and these companies have they've had a lobbyists lobbying on their behalf to make sure that regulation that is either already in place or future legislation is in their favor and not in your favor as a driver. Okay, but so what we do as an organization is we work in the best interest of drivers. We make sure that people are put into office that support drivers. That, you know, let us find out that somebody voted against legislation that would have been beneficial to drivers. You best believe we're running ads against them. You better believe that we're going to do what we can to make sure that they're not elected. That's what we do. That's how we help. So like I said, we're not out there doing strikes. We're not out there, you know, we're, we're, we're not any, we're not a union. We, we, we don't do that. We, we deal with politics, boo-boo. We deal with politicians and legislation. That's how we help rideshare drivers. So we're in a unique position. We help in a way in which there isn't a lot of help for rideshare drivers. Okay. And it's important. We do it because right now in the current space, the deck is stacked against drivers. And based on everything that I've just said in this segment, the IPO, investors, you know, the plans, all of this stuff, it's only set to get worse, okay? It is going to get worse if we don't do something together because our organization requires that rideshare drivers support our work. We can't do what we do without rideshare drivers. We do a lot of other things, but specifically on this issue, we can't do what we do without rideshare drivers. But in the same respect, what we do, you have we're in a highly regulated space, okay? So you can't say, "Oh, well, I can work to get, you know, politicians elected and well, yeah, you can do that by voting." But voting isn't the only way that you can have impact. 
Other ways to have impact requires that you be connected with the right organizations. We are that organization. Okay. If you are a rideshare driver, understand that. Share this podcast. Share out, share our information with other rideshare drivers because we are an organization that people need to know about. Again, now we do focus on a lot of other issues. I will tell you that this is not our only issue. Maybe, for instance, we we this morning or oh no, yesterday we talked about abortion. Abortion was an, a, another issue that we talk about. We also talk about illegal immigration. Maybe you have differing opinions with us on those. That's fine. You're probably not going to agree with us on all issues. We're good with that. We're not affiliated with the Democrats or the Republicans. We're not left. We're not right. We are where we need to be based on research on specific issues. And on this issue, we are where we need to be. And you should align yourself with us based on this issue alone. Don't let, especially given everything I've just said for you, if you are a rideshare driver, don't let your view of other issues impact how you feel about us on this issue. Don't let it impact your ability to understand that you need to be with us on this issue. Because again, the deck is stacked against drivers. These IPOs have thrown fuel on the fire, fuel on the fire. Before you were just fighting against these companies. Now you're fighting against these companies, their investors, their, their investors' money, and their investors' demands. Boo-boo, that's a lot going against you. So we've got to do something. We've got to do something together. We've got to do something now. And it starts with the 2020 election. To this point, if you are a rideshare driver, if you know a rideshare driver, and you understand the importance of what I am talking about, if you understand how we are in a position as an organization to help rideshare drivers, consider giving us a one-time contribution We'll use that contribution again to support our work, to get politicians elected who support regulation, who support uh, legislation that is in favor of ride share drivers. Consider giving us a one-time contribution. You can do so. um, Go to our website. It's www.our dash pack that's o-u-r dash p-a-c dot com right on our homepage, you'll click the link that says our impact and then right on that you'll cl- you'll make a selection of um what is it called <laughs> our pack politics podcast then right at the top of that page you'll find our information to make a contribution uh just If you want to see what the options are, we have two options to make a contribution, at least in relation to this show. Uh, You can use the Cash App. Um, If you have Cash App, just open the app and then you do dollar sign, our United Resource Pack. If you're not sure how to spell that, again, go to our website, click the Our Impact section, then Our Pack Politics uh, podcast, and then you'll see how to spell that. Uh, or you can find us on PayPal at paypal.me slash our United Resource Pack. Same deal. If you don't know how to spell that, head to www.our-pack.com and select our impact, then select our pack 
politics podcast and that information is right at the top of the page. You know, maybe we need to consider bringing our contribution button back. (laughs) Most of the times when we receive contributions, we do invoices. But for this, you know, we didn't want to have to make you go through a process of requesting an invoice and then sending. No, we just wanted you to be able to send one in. And it doesn't matter the amount. It really doesn't. Whatever you feel compelled to and are able to, to give, please feel free to do so. If you want more information on our organization before making a contribution, you can again head to our website, but click legal notices. So you'll go to ourour-pac.com and click legal notices and you'll see all the information that you know uh, will help you make a decision about um, if we are the type of organization that you'd like to make a contribution to. Um, understand that there are certain limitations to who can give us a contribution, such as like we can't receive contributions for minors or foreign nationals. There's certain information that we'll need if you give over a certain amount, uh, but we'll contact you if we need that information. That said, if you do make a contribution on on uh on the Cash App or on PayPal in the notes or memo section, put your email address. That way, if we have to reach out to you, we have the ability to do so. With PayPal, that's easy. So you might not need to put that because we will see your email address. But for uh, Cash App, we won't. So please make sure that you put your email address there. Uh, One last point about contributions. We do work on a lot of different issues, but to make sure that your contribution is only used uh, to elect politicians in relation to this issue, rideshare regulation, make sure that you put, um, if, if you want, rideshare um, or you know, rideshare driver, rideshare regulation, something with rideshare in the memo, in the notes, so that way we know we need to allocate these funds to this issue. Again, if you can. We appreciate contribution. It's not required. It's a one-time contribution. So do what you can when you can. And if you can't make a financial contribution, we understand that as well. But please support us by, at the very least, sharing this podcast. So there's something that we have to offer drivers out there. Um, we have, uh, sometimes we occasionally create content that is useful for those who support us content available at no cost to you. One of the things that we have, uh, that drivers might find to be of benefit is we have something called, um, it's our top three driver resources. Now the resources aren't ours. Uh, but they are resources that we recommend for rideshare drivers. So it's a downloadable guide for rideshare drivers that contains references to resources that we feel make rideshare driving safe, profitable, and efficient. It's a quick little PDF for you to take a look at. Originally, we were going to put our top 10 on there, um, but we were like, no, let's maybe save other resources for another day. Cause sometimes, you know, when you get a whole bunch of information, uh, given to you at one time, it can be a bit much. And, you know, especially with them being resources, it's a lot easier for you to kind of figure out if, you know, uh, one, two, or all three out of three work for you and to kind of test them out rather than giving you 10 different things to test out at one time. So these are two, th- I mean, excuse me, three things that rideshare drivers, you know, can find to be 
very, very helpful for helpful for them as a rideshare driver. Now, this is these these things are not just for new rideshare drivers. Therefore, rideshare drivers who are newer who've been driving for a very long time. These resources are also available for people who are considering becoming a rideshare driver. Um, particularly the third one on that list. Uh, so I won't get into what the resources are. If, if you want the, the free downloadable guide, uh, just go ahead on our website, go to www.our-pac.com, then click on Our Impact. Then from there, you will click on Content. Then you will uh, select Top three driver resources. When you click that, you'll be taken to the landing page for the, um, for the resource. And then, um, you'll just input your first name, your email address, and it will be emailed right to you. All right. So other than again, your name and your email, we don't need any other information. We don't need to know, Oh, well, who were you driving with? Who were you considering? It's none of our business. We don't need to know. We just need to make sure that you're a real person and that, you know, you are serious. So give us your name and your email and you can have the top three driver resources that we feel help drivers be safe drivers, uh, be profitable drivers and be efficient in their ride share journey because those things are definitely, definitely, definitely important. Profitability, especially given what we just talked about. So what this does is it kind of gives me a great segue into our second story. Um, and that is our official stand on ride share regulation. Now, it might surprise you to learn that especially if you've listened to any of our other two uh, podcasts or episodes, because this is only our third episode, you know, we, we've talked about other issues that we deal with as an organization. We deal with illegal immigration and we deal with abortion. And now I'm telling you tonight uh, that we deal with ding, 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 ride chair regulation. So it kind of throws you for a curveball because the other two were kind of perceived as, social issues, even though illegal immigration could be seen also as a security issue or, or an economical issue. Um, those other two things are kind of commonly talked about, but rideshare regulation as it relates to politics is not really something that's talked about. So it, it might surprise you that not only are we in this space, but we're actually focused on this issue on the upcoming 2020 election. Um, it's, you know, this is a pretty unregulated area in the United States. You know, you have a lot of regulation regarding like taxis and buses and trains and planes. And, but when it comes to rideshare, there's not a lot of regulation. And the obvious reason for that is that rideshare is something that's relatively new. Um, even, well, I don't want to say it's relatively new. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, you know, everything from carpooling and stuff like that, but ride sharing as we know it today is something that's relatively new. Um, but given the recent IPOs, the reality is that more regulation is going to be coming to this space that considered we decided to add this issue uh, to our uh, slate of issues that we're looking at come the 2020 election. So we're dedicated to making sure that politicians are elected that favor regulations that positively impact rideshare drivers as opposed to transportation companies. Uh, I mentioned it in, in the previous segment. Um, 
for a while now, these companies have had people in Washington. So at the federal level and then even on local levels, they have had lobbyists fighting on their behalf to make sure that they do everything they can to turn a profit. And they typically will, you know, uh, frame it as bringing jobs to the state, supporting the local economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you on that. But what are you doing for drivers? They're not fighting for drivers. Okay, so we're dedicated to making sure that there are politicians in place who are going to work for you for politicians who have supported legislation that has been anti-rideshare driver. They better watch out for us, especially if more drivers get behind us and put their money where their mouth is and make a contribution and say, you know, we support you enough to here, here, here's, here's what I can do. I might not be able to give you a lot, but I can give you $5, $10, maybe not monthly, but I can make this commitment this one time to help you in the cause. Oh, they better, they better beware. Cause if they've done everything they can to work against rideshare drivers and they have regulation in their state that is against drivers that harms drivers, if they're up for re-election or they're running for office, well, they'd have to be up for re-election if they've done something in the past. But if they if they're up for re-election, we'll be running ads against them to make sure that they lose political office. They they need to beware because we are going to be out. I, I mentioned this, I believe, in the last podcast. Um, you might not see a lot from us on the internet. There's not really a lot on our website, so to say, even, because even though we've been around since last year, we've been very dormant. You've got to understand politics to a certain extent to understand our strategy. Um, Last year, we came in and it was when the midterms were going on, but we didn't come in at the start of the midterms. Uh, We came in essentially when um, you know, the midterms were pretty well in effect. And, you know, you need capital to get to a certain point or to have a certain amount of impact. And we were too far into the game to focus on raising capital to, you know, to go ahead and have impact in the last election cycle. So basically what we have done, what we've set ourselves up to do is pretty much our entire first year, we've been preparing ourselves for ramp up and take off. So now we are in the we've we you know we've we've spent a year, you know, just operating at a very low basic level, you know, just you know, not really doing much but we are we're at we're at this critical juncture. <laughs> we're at a point now where we're like, okay, it's about that time. We're close enough to the election to where it's not too early, you know, where people haven't declared candidacy. Okay, we know we know who's running in 2020. We we know what the the landscape. Even though you're going to have more people declaring candidacy, especially throughout this year, but we have a g- pretty good idea of who who we're going to be looking at. You know, come 2020, we're going to be wrapping up even more as the year goes on. So there's an ebb and a flow to our business and how we work. It's not like a typical, just say nonprofit where, oh, all through the year, you know, people do, no, 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 no. This is politics. Even though politics happen all through the year, politics exists all through the year. There are certain times that uh, in, in, in certain times compared to others, there's going to be more action because you were closer to or further away from an election. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I went away on a tangent. I told you 
in the other shows. I'm known for doing that and I try my hardest not to do it, but I reeled myself back in. So yay for me. But anyways, what I just said, considered we support the best interest of rideshare drivers and regulation of the rideshare industry. Um, some people, you know, they only support regulation that favors the companies, which is pretty much the companies. They only want regulation to support themselves. That's fine. Just as you probably want regulation that just supports you in the equation. That's fine too. Uh, but then most of the people who have no foot in the game, those who are just the regular, regular general voting public, they probably say, you know, if they don't really either know a rideshare driver or understand the plight of a rideshare driver, they're probably of the train of thought, well, we could do without or do with regulation. Doesn't matter to me because it doesn't impact me. Most often with politics or most social issues, that's the, the that's the position a lot of people take. Not because they want to be uninformed or not because they just don't want to care, but most people just... They can't genuinely care or understand an issue unless it affects them in some way, whether directly or indirectly. Um, so that said, there are a few different regulations that we would like to see. We want to see a cap on the number of drivers on city streets, potentially based on population. Okay. And one of one of the formulations for this, this kind of uh, thing that we wanted to see was based on something that was very, very prevalent in California, okay? In California, specifically Northern California and the Bay Area, <clears throat> actually really affected all of California, what you would see a lot of is you would see a lot of drivers that would go from like um, the Northern California area, Sacramento, Stockton, Modesto, they would drive to the Bay Area. So the Bay Area not just had drivers in the Bay Area, they had drivers in the Bay Area, plus people who came from Sacramento, Stockton, Modesto. Then you started having people because, it, and these people came not because they wanted to drive in those locations, but because their areas weren't that profitable because the rates weren't that high. Uh, and then there also just wasn't the same amount of business that there was in the Bay Area. But then on top of that, then you started seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, you would start seeing people come from Bakersfield. Uh, LA, if you know, it's all the way in Southern California. And you would have to think, man, they'd have to be making pretty good money to take in that type of expense to come here, go back, you know, pay for, you know, a, a place to stay. When in reality, a lot of these drivers, and because just go and look at articles or videos about this, a lot of drivers, they would not even stay in like hotels, they would stay in their car. Why? Because it wasn't profitable. So you had a situation where you had all of these drivers from different areas in a small area. If you know anything about the Bay Area, and I'm not talking about, oh, they were spread across all the Bay Area. No, no, no. You're talking about people being like in San Francisco, uh, in Oakland, like in very, very small. These places might be big as far as populations, but but actual like Square space wise, these are really small spaces, <laughs> small, small spaces. And you had all these people and they were just taking a lot of space. And so it was impacting not just driver, uh, driver income. It also then impacted the locals. Locals started complaining about traffic. Locals started complaining about 
you know, pollution and just a whole host of things that became an issue. Again, not just for drivers, but for locals in areas where you have a lot of people doing rideshare driving more so than you have passengers. And so this isn't something that is unique to Northern California. This is just something that I was aware of considering that, you know, this is my area of residency. But when you have other large cities, based on what I have come to know, same thing happened. The larger cities is where all drivers will pull to. Drivers from smaller cities. And it's not because they want to say, oh, I'm driving in the big city. No, 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 no. They're doing it because where they are isn't profitable. So we're asking that regulation put a cap on the number of drivers on city streets based on population. We also want regulation regarding fares, duly establishing a minimum wage for drivers. Period. Now, let me tell you something. Minimum wage on a personal level, I'm not talking about the organization. As an organization, we don't have an official stand on minimum wage. But on a personal level, I personally don't support minimum wage. Okay, uh, I could get into why I don't, but I'm not going to do that in this moment. Some of you, I probably just made your heads explode. That's cool. Piece your head back together. You know, we can maybe talk about that another time in this moment. Again, I'm not going to do that. But in this specific instance, I do support some form of a minimum wage. Let me tell you why and why the organization supports it. Drivers, we already talked about in the last segment how drivers are classified as independent contractors, they're partners with the business, yada, 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 yada. In the words of a very close family friend, that's a lie. But <laughs> anyways, moving on, we already understand that. We already understand also, based on what we talked about, how drivers view said relationship. They, based on the questions that they're asking, based on the demands that they have, they don't feel, they don't understand themselves to be partners. They don't understand themselves to be business owners who are in a relationship professionally with another business. They view that and understand the relationship to be that of an employee-employer relationship. That alone is not enough to warrant why I personally and professionally support a minimum wage for drivers. Because again, personally, I don't support minimum wage. But here's the deal. Based on what we've talked about as it relates to drivers and the fact that drivers cannot, in a lot of situations, even know what they are going to earn from a ride before they accept it, based on the fact that they can't negotiate, for instance, the percentage that they get from rides, um, and that they just have to accept what the what the transportation company gives them, at the very least, they should know, okay, this is what I can at least count on being paid X amount per mile. They're at least owed that much, not from an entitlement perspective, but from the perspective of a supposed business owner. 
boom, your mind was blown. So listen, we want to see something else. We want to see obviously raises, uh, raises for the rates. The, you know, they, who was that guy a few years ago who used to say the rent is too damn high. The rates are too damn low. Okay. We need to make it so that the, the wages to drivers are livable and sustainable. Okay. Now, personally, just saying, I understand that the CEO of a company is going to make more than someone who is working in, just say, for instance, a clerical role. It is nonsense a lot. And I'm, I'm just putting this out there. It is nonsense for people who say, oh, well, I'm the administrative assistant and I don't make what the CEO makes. Well, yeah, you shouldn't. I, I don't, I don't, she, you know, uh, if, especially if the CEO is the founder, okay, you have had equal an opportunity to found a company too and do the same thing, but you didn't do it. You decided anyways, going off on a tangent. So, uh, you know, here's, here's the deal. The rates need to be livable though, especially because why these are people who own their own business. Period. Period. There has to be an end to predatory lending to drivers. I mentioned this earlier um, when I talked about the $20 million FTC, the $20 million settlement that Uber made with the, the, the FTC, okay? Um, we're not exactly sure, while we want as an organization to see an end to predatory lending to drivers, we're not exactly sure of the road to take to accomplish this. So what I mean by that is we're not, we haven't decided as an organization if we want to require that, you know, in order for politicians to get our support, that they, you know, be against any and all um, lending. If the lending isn't predatory, we might be open to that. But the unfortunate thing, given the current space, is that all lending that we have seen from these companies to drivers has been predatory. So there's no precedent for us to say, oh, well, that's, that's, you know, that's, worked pretty well. No, it hasn't been the case. Flat out. Not at all. So the last thing that, that we would like to see is we'd like to see government regulated and operated on demand shared ride services. In some locations, um, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, um, but I know in Los Angeles, there is a, a government regulated and, and operated on-demand shared ride service. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, it's it. people who would normally take public transportation, and I don't mean that in like a derogatory way or anything like that. I'm just saying it's comparable in price to public transportation, but it's government regulated and operated ride share services. Um, I know one of the politicians, I don't know if it's Patrick Neville, um, one of the politicians who's kind of on our radar, again, don't quote me on it. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's Patrick Neville, but uh, I want to say he's a city council member down in SoCal. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. My mind is kind of fried. It's the end of the day. I've had a long day. Um, I'm just kind of going off on a quick little tangent here. I mentioned this yesterday. My mom had surgery, so that's why this podcast is getting out later today. Um, but I'm doing two podcasts right now just back to back to, to get them done for today. But anywho, so my mind is kind of fried and I can't really recall the name of, of the city council member from SoCal. But anywho, so um, 
you know, you do have government regulated and operated on demand services. And we want to see more of those, not because we want the government doing it, not because we want more government regulation or, you know, more government involvement. No, we want that because what it does is it serves as kind of a, a competition, a competition for rideshare. There's not really anything in that space right now in a lot of areas. Right now, the only thing government has to offer or, or you know, government funded or regulated would be, you know, bus systems and stuff. And we know that for a lot of people, those are an utter failure. Um, there's not really anything comparable. I mean, even when you look at like the light rail systems, uh, but we want to see something similar to ride share, but that is government regulated and operated specifically and, and pretty much only because it will spur competition and, and not just kind of level the playing field and, 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 uh, just do something for the space that, that can't be done if you have just really little to no competition because, um, a, uh, these, or certain companies have so much market share that it's really hard for other companies to get in. Um, quite frankly, if, for instance, Uber and Lyft didn't have so much market share, I don't believe that the board would have agreed to support government regulated and operated on demand rideshare services uh, because the the market would kind of, you know, use the players on the market to level itself out. But now it's so the barrier for entry is so high, given, again, the massive uh, the massive market share that uh, Uber and Lyft have, that it's really hard for adequate and legitimate competition to get in this space to uh, do something that would positively impact drivers. So we'll pick up this segment in just a second. There's a whole lot that can be said for what we can be against as an organization uh, related to the issue of rideshare regulation, but it really boils down to one thing. What we're against is we're against companies, uh, regardless of what they call themselves, they can call themselves, you know, tech companies, tomato companies. I don't care. We're against companies in the rideshare industry taking advantage of drivers and operating in an unregulated landscape. That's, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's, there's, there's, there's two reasons why it's wrong. One, the fact that it's highly unregulated for the most part especially when you look at the fact that they're trying to circumvent who they are and what they're actually doing. Um, but then two, it's wrong because they, you know, especially think of in what other business relationship, business to business, would business A keep doing business with business B if they know, if business A knows that business B is doing everything it can to work against business A. No business in their right mind would do that. Either business A would no longer do business with business B, or business A would say, okay, they're using their arsenal to do what they can, to do what's in their best interest. I'm going to do the same for myself. So we're against, we're against these companies taking advantage of other quote unquote companies. Now I talked about this in other shows when I talked about, you know, well, how we 
um, how we formulate, you know, uh, our uh, uh, our stand on issues. When it came to rideshare regulation and how we feel, quote unquote, as an organization, we looked at the Federal Code of Regulations and we looked at Regulation 48 uh, and it, it addressed the policy standards for transportation. And it says this, it says a whole bunch of other things, but it says this specific point. The secretary, referring to the transportation secretary, shall consider the needs, one, for effectiveness and safety in transportation systems, and two, of national defense. These two points are critically important for our organization and the work that we do, okay? Speaking to that first point, effectiveness and safety in transportation systems. It is not safe when you have a transportation system, which is what these rideshare companies are. They are transportation systems. Um, it's not safe when you have transportation systems where drivers are committing suicide because they can't make a living. It is not effective to have these systems run in the ways in which they do. Okay. The national defense thing is of importance, but it's not necessarily primarily applicable to the purpose for our work. Okay. Let me explain the four other things, the four other components that we looked at when we developed our stand on this issue. So we looked at individuals. What is wrong with things as they currently are and why do we need to do what we do to help individuals? And what we said is that we need to help individual drivers because drivers are earning less than minimum wage, substantially less when their costs and fees are deducted from their earnings. Here's something if you're a rideshare driver that I want you to think about. Let's say, for instance, you did a trip, regardless of your platform, Let's doesn't matter where you are, anything like that. Let's say that you took a trip, okay, and that your trip was, um, you earned, we'll say, $25 from that trip. We'll be very, 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 very compassionate, and we will say, no, let's let's say no. I'm not going to be compassionate. I'm going to be. Uh, I'll be rational. Let's say that the trip you earned twenty dollars. Okay, you earned twenty dollars. Right off the bat, that twenty dollars will be generous and say that the commission that the company takes from you is twenty five percent. Right off the bat, they take their five dollars right off top. Okay, so you're left with fifteen dollars. Out of that $15, you have the cost of operations. We'll discuss this at a later time. Um, this has changed to the best of my knowledge. But um, it was the standard cost of operations, I think, for the IRS for operating a vehicle for occupational purposes, at least from what I knew a few years ago, was I think it was $0.54 cents per mile or something like that. Um, but again, I'm pretty sure that that's changed. Um but so that standard amount 
is has to be figured into your cost of operations. And that doesn't mean that, you know, oh, you owe the IRS that amount. No, that's just what it's figured is your cost of doing business using your car for, for occupational purposes. So the, the company takes their fee up, up front. You have to do your expenses in real time. So your oil changes, if you have any, you know, mechanical issues you've got to take care of, if you need tires, all that type of stuff, that happens in real time. You can't say, oh, well, I'm going to wait till till I do my taxes or find out if this is profitable. But a big expense that you have to worry about in real time is gas, unless and I've said this before, unless you're out there driving a fuel efficient vehicle. It really, from a business perspective, is not too sound for you to be doing rideshare. I mean, and even then, it's still not the most sound decision, not like sound like, oh, you're crazy to do it. But just from a business perspective, when you run the numbers, it just doesn't make it. It's 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 profitable for you, more profitable than it is for the people out there with gas guzzlers. When I see, for instance, the people out there, you know, you're driving on the road, minding your own business, and then you see, bam, you know, the sign in the windows and you see it on like a pickup truck. I say to myself, what in the world were you smoking? Like, really, 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 really. Like, it's it's like that, like, oh, oh my, I've never owned a truck and I know better. Like, come on. But so anywho, it's when you when you look at the costs and the fees, um, it's 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 not too profitable. But one of the things that works to the advantage of these companies is that they one get their fee up front before you see your money. They not only see you their money, they don't not only see your money, but they take their money from your money to make sure that they collect theirs first. Okay. Um, because they don't trust you as their business partner to give them the money that you owe them at a later time. Let that one sink in. Boom. So you're dealing with lack of trust already from your partner. Um, but <laughs> then you've got to sit up there and, and they bank on the fact that drivers don't realize, especially when they're new, how much of an expense it is for them to operate their vehicle for this. And they're hoping that you don't pay attention to the fact, especially if you're in a bigger city, that you are going to the gas station every day. Sometimes from what I've heard, twice a day. They're hoping that you're not calculating that. They're hoping that you're not realizing that when you look at your insurance premiums and and the extra that you pay for insurance for this, they're hoping that you don't calculate that. They're hoping that you don't calculate the increase in wear and tear on your vehicle, not just in driving your vehicle and the mileage and the usage of your brakes and all of that stuff. They're hoping that you don't realize the fact that just even just from people being in the backseat, putting the windows up and down, however many hundreds of times that's happening in the car while you're racking your passenger count up, look at your buttons and see if you if, if they're, they're getting wear and tear and, and they're, you know, uh, deteriorating, they're hoping you don't notice that. They're hoping you don't notice the scratches that you've gotten on your car on the outside and the inside. They're hoping that they're hoping all of that. 
But at the end of the day, when these fees and costs are deducted, the cost is too high for individuals. Another thing that we looked at is the problem of rideshare and how it's impacting families. Basically, families of drivers are suffering just as much as these drivers are. These drivers nowadays, for starters, very few drivers are doing this to, to supplement income, okay? If you're a driver, get out there and talk to other drivers and you'll see there aren't that many drivers who are doing it because just say, even though they, you know, you hear the stories of this, someone just say being an attorney or something and they, you know, want to do rideshare. It's very rare that you see that. You're not going to see someone, you know, making six figures say, oh, I want to go be a rideshare driver. Like it, it, no, it just, it doesn't happen. There's other parts to the story that you're, that you're not hearing that they're not disclosing. But anywho, when you look at the families of these rideshare drivers, you know, you're seeing them contend with the fact that their family members are driving long hours. They're working these long hours. And so they're never home. But in addition to that, what they're seeing because, and they're probably seeing this faster than the drivers are seeing this. The the drivers are so blinded by the fact that they're, you know, chasing the dollar. They're, they're so blinded by the fact that they're chasing the dollar that they're not seeing the lack of dollars being transferred into the family bank account. The first ones to realize that even if even if money is making it to the house, I can guarantee you the expectations. If there was a if there was a conversation had in the home with a couple before you know one person or both people started you know to do ride sharing, especially if it was to supplement or whatever, um, there probably was the expectation whether it was based on false advertising or what. Oh, we're going to be making you know twenty five hundred dollars a week. Fifteen, okay, that's what they thought. And again, it's not to say that the person out there driving isn't seeing that this and is that it, it isn't happening. They're too busy out there just chasing and chasing the dollar, you know, as they they're blinded by these incentives that um, are kind of served you know, that are that are meant to kind of keep you in the rat weight race, so to say, meant to keep your mind focused on that as opposed to the fact that you're not actually making the money that was either promised to you or that was uh, led to be the accept the uh, expectation. But it's that family member at home who was saying, okay, I thought that, you know, so-and-so was supposed to be bringing home uh, $1,500 a week. Um, and I'm noticing that money is going in the bank account, but it's all being spent on gas. It's being spent on, you know, the extra money we're paying on insurance. It's being spent on the every time they got to go vacuum out the car or wash the car because they've got to keep up the appearance of the car. They're noticing that. So while you think that you're out there putting $1,500 a week into the family bank account, they're noticing that the reality is that after your expenses and stuff, it's really only, you know, we'll just say two, $300. God forbid that, I don't know if they still have it, but I know a few years ago, one company whose name will not be disclosed had a gas card that 
you know, made you feel like, oh, you know, I need gas to do this. Okay, that's fine. But not only are drivers spending money on gas, they're going into the convenience store and buying snacks. Yet again, another ploy that is presented as helping these people that is hurting these people. So they're thinking they're making this money, but if they've got that gas card, not only is the company taking their money off top, but then they're taking out money from these gas cards. And most of the times, 100% of that money isn't going for gas, especially with drivers having long wait, longer wait times for rides in between what they had years and years ago. I can bet you they're sitting in the car eating some chips sitting in the car, eating some candy, drinking a Coke, drinking a Pepsi. It's happening and you'd be a fool not to believe it. It's just reality. I'm, I'm Maybe I'm speaking too real for you. But again, more likely than not, it's that person at home who's first recognizing that this isn't, this is, isn't what we agreed to. This isn't what we said what, what was going to happen. Then after that, we looked at, okay, how is ride share and this lack of regulation or the bad regulation that we have in some circumstances, how is it impacting communities? Well, my friends, what we have seen, and all of this is based on research. This isn't just based on personal opinions or, oh, I talked to so-and-so. Or, no, 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 no. This is all based on legitimate research, okay? Um, so one of the things that we notice as it relates to communities is that basically because of a lack of regulation, and again, in some cases there is regulation and it's just not that great, but in a lot of circumstances, there just isn't the regulation there. There's been a missed opportunity for taxes. Now, I'm not personally someone out there who is tax happy. I don't want the government taking all my money or all of yours, but most certainly mine, please don't do it um, because it's mine and I worked for it. And I don't think that you have a right just to take it. But anywho, another topic for another day. But even, even that considered, I do recognize the obligation that people and businesses have to contribute. Plainly put, these companies haven't been contributing as much as other companies. Then if you want to take it a step further, because not only have they not been paying their fair share of taxes as companies, and I'm not, again, I'm not talking about taxes from rideshare drivers. These people, they are holding up their end of the uh, end of the bargain when they do their employments, their self-employment taxes every year. They're holding up theirs. They've been doing that. It's these companies who could be getting taxed that are not getting taxed because they've been evading regulation. But get this, here's something else to consider. How we've talk, uh, talked about how drivers aren't making that much, not all, but there are some drivers who their earning potential is so limited now, whether it's because there are too many drivers in their market, the, the wages are too low, there are a whole host of issues why they could not be earning that much, but they're earning so little that they're having to get government assistance. So not only are these companies not paying their fair share, they're doubly burdening the taxpayers by one, not giving us our money, and two, by making us help people 
who are providing them services that they should be fairly compensating. And lastly, we looked at how everything that's happening right now in the rideshare space is affecting the country. And what our research has shown is that because there has been a lack of regulation, there's the same deal on a federal level. There is a mixed, a missed opportunity for taxes. So that, that affects both the federal and the state level. We want our money and we want it now. So now you know why we care about electing politicians who support regulation that actually favors rideshare drivers. You know, I mean, hopefully I've made it clear for you. I know that was a lot, but you need to know why we do what we do. And now you know. So thank you so much for listening to the show today. The show is just about over, but let me tell you what we've got going on for our next show. Now, one of the things before I get into the next show, let me kind of tell you one very, very quick point. Uh, this is only our third episode for our podcast. Um, and so we are firm believers in something called pivoting. And pivoting is basically when you see that a change needs to be made, you recognize that fact, you make an informed decision and you make the change and you make it swiftly if it needs to be done. One of the things that we are going to be doing on the show is pivoting as it relates to the time of our shows and kind of the structure. So this is going to be the last show that has us discuss two kind of stories in the same 
thing. Uh, as you see, what it does is it makes for a really long episode. And so essentially, um, starting with our next podcast episode, uh, there will only be one topic covered per podcast episode. So basically, the podcast episodes are going to be half of what they have been to this point. Like literally, one of the last two was literally almost two hours. Uh, and we said, you know, nobody in their right mind um, is going to listen to a an entire two-hour show, at least all in one sitting. So look forward to that. Um, if you want to subscribe to our podcast, what this will also do for you, no matter the platform you're listening on, is it will make it so that way, if you legitimately only want to hear about our stuff related to Rideshare, um, this can be pretty easy for you because you'll see in our title, oh, this is what they're talking about. And you can instantly know, do I want to listen to this episode or do I not want to? So it makes it easier for you too, not just for us, but for for you as well. So, and, and, uh, if you want to know what the next show is going to be about, and I'm going to be recording it a few minutes after this, again, I want to aim to get one episode out in the mornings and then one in the evenings. But once more, my mom had surgery this morning and, um, I was not able to get it done this morning, but I'm doing it right now. But so in this next podcast, I'm going to be talking about a senator by the name of Aaron Bean. If you don't know him, it might be of, of importance for you to know. That's all I'm going to give you. Um, and so maybe consider listening to it or maybe not. But we'll be talking about Mr. Bean later on this evening. Uh, and just remember as well that even though we're changing the length of our segments and how the episodes are kind of structured so that way they're shorter, we are not going to be changing the fact that you will be getting two podcast episodes from us every day. Um, I'm going to, again, try to, in the best of circumstances, get one out in the morning and one out in the evening. But when things happen, such as today, when there's, uh, uh, you know, either an emergency or a surgery or something like that, I might have to do them back to back, you know, maybe in the evening or maybe in the morning, depending on the circumstances. But I will Monday through Friday get two episodes out to you every day. Uh, and remember, as stated earlier, we're on multiple podcast platforms, such as Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBoss, Overcast, Podcasts, excuse me, Pocket Cast, Radio at Public, and Stitcher. Um, so if you, you know, want to check out another platform if you're on one now, um, rather than having to search for us on that platform, just head over to our website, which is www.our-pac, which is O-U-R-P-A-C.com, clicked our impact, and then clicked our PAC Politics Podcasts, and you will see links to all of our uh, locations that you can find us on podcast podcast platforms. Woo! Speaking a little bit too fast there. Uh, that said, um, thank you so much for listening. I had a great show um, and I really hope this was informative. Particularly if you are a rideshare driver, consider sharing this episode with another rideshare driver. You're in a car anyways. You have time to listen to it. Maybe don't play me while you have your uh, passengers in the car. They might not be interested in or you know what I have to say or might feel some sort of way about it. That's cool, but you can listen to me when you're by yourself. And please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Like I said, I know we talk about a lot of other things, but even if you only hear me just for what we have to say and the work that we do on rideshare regulation, it is super important and relevant to you. That said, once more, thank you so much for listening. I have enjoyed my day. I feel like, you know, three podcast episodes in, I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable and relaxed in doing this. If you listen to the other two, I might have sound a little 
I don't want to say uptight, but I might have sounded a little bit uptight, but it was just, you know, I'm new to the podcast game. uh, And, um, but even still, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to connect with you guys in a very unique way. So thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. And I am out. Bye.